Don't you feel sorry for Jonah? Like the guy, it wasn't going to go right for him at all. So the way the story ends, to sort of pick up from what Mary has shared with us already, is an obedient Jonah who does go to Nineveh. And he preaches in Nineveh, a great city, having first of all tried to go the other way as far as he could get and then being vomited up by a, a fish, as we heard. Uh, he, he, he does go to, to this great city and he says, in 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And he, he must have been a pretty powerful preacher because they repented. They, they heard what he was saying and they repented and, you know, from top to bottom, they had an overhaul and Nineveh became a city that followed Jehovah God. And so you would think, well, Jonah, all's well that ends well, Right. Well, not for Jonah, poor guy. He says, God, I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this. I knew you would say you're going to destroy the city, and then the people would say, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, that you, because you do this, because you're like this, just would forgive them and then not destroy them. And it makes me look like an idiot. If I wasn't already looking like that when they threw me off the ship, got swallowed by a fish, got vomited up, um, had to go and preach at the corner in Nineveh, um, what are they going to think of me now? So he goes, and he, he's actually sulking. And he, he's sort of sitting by himself, and God has a little pity on him, and he, he makes something grow up that provides shade for him. And then he allows a worm to come and eat the shade that God is providing. And it's like Jonah's going, God, Again, what's going on here? And God said, Are you, is it okay for you to be angry like this? To be grateful for you know, the shelter and then angry when the worm comes and eats it? Um, you, 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 your emotions vacillate. Um, you choose one thing and then you go the other direction. And yet you call on me to be a better God than you think I am when I change my mind about Nineveh um, and you know we're, we're left with sort of the sort of the sense that Jonah might have been satisfied finally and said okay that was a weird week um, but let's get, get back to life so as you know I enjoy the message and I, this week I read the little introduction that Eugene Peterson gives to the book of Jonah. And I just felt like he says some very good things here as we approach this topic. Everybody knows about Jonah. People who have never read the Bible know enough about Jonah to laugh at a joke about him and the whale. Jonah has, an, has entered our folklore. There's a playful aspect to his story, a kind of slapstick clumsiness about Jonah as he bumbles his way along, trying, but always unsuccessfully, to avoid God. But the playfulness is not frivolous. This is deadly serious. While we're smiling or laughing at Jonah, we drop the guard with which we're trying to keep God at a comfortable distance, and suddenly we find ourselves caught in the purposes and commands of God, all of us, no exceptions. Stories are the most prominent biblical way of helping us to see ourselves in the God story, which always gets around to the story of God making and saving us. Stories, in contrast to abstract statements of truth, tease us into becoming participants in what is being said. 
we find ourselves involved in the action. We may start out as spectators or critics, but if the story is good, and the biblical stories are very good, we find ourselves no longer just listening, but actually inhabiting the story. One reason that the Jonah story is so enduringly important for nurturing the life of faith in us is that Jonah is not a hero too high and mighty for us to identify with. He doesn't do anything great. Instead of being held up as an ideal to admire, we find Jonah as a companion in our ineptness. Here's someone in our level. Even when Jonah does it right, like preaching finally in Nineveh, he gets it wrong by getting very angry at God. But the whole time God is working within and around Jonah's very ineptness and accomplishing his purposes in him. Most of us need a biblical friend or two like Jonah. That's good, right? We have come to Enneagram type 9, so no hallelujahs or praise God. We're done with that from the, the ranks. Just, yeah, it was good. And if you didn't find your Enneagram type, um, today's your last chance. So if you haven't found it and you're not a 9, um, you will have to come to remedial classes when we will go once again around the 9 types of the Enneagram. If, if there's any comfort, um, the Enneagram type 9 is the most common Enneagram type by you know, several studies that have, have tried to sort that out. And Jonah is a perfect 9. He lives his life, his little exploits, in an extreme effort to avoid God and everything else that was troublesome or conflicted or difficult or, um, you know, awkward. Everything about Jonah's life was kind of, how, how can I avoid the unpleasantness of what's coming up? Uh, even when the storm comes up and, and the sailors say, who, who's your God? He, he, he finally says, well, I, I really, really need to help these people. I need to help them avoid perishing. So if I need to go into the into the sea, that, that's what we'll have to do. We've looked at all of these uh, Enneagram types with a Bible character, um, actually because the authority of the stories in the Bible is a greater authority than the Enneagram. So if the Enneagram explains some things, that's helpful to us. But the lessons that we need to learn are the lessons of the Bible characters. And I think one of the um, things that we notice in this study is just how well told these Bible stories are and how diverse the people are uh, who are the people of faith and the people that God blesses and uses and, um, and meets. And so we've looked at um, various Old Testament and New Testament characters. And when we get to this um, talk today, we're talking about um, the person who has the need to avoid, um, or we might also call him the peacemaker. So the, the desire to avoid, which well, I'll just explain in a moment, has an outhouse and an orchard, of course. And so the orchard is the orchard of number three, and the outhouse is the orchard of number six. So the way that those other go-to places... Thanks, Ian. I was going to put it on the floor, but that's irrever irreverent, so I shouldn't be doing that. If you're a number nine and you're trying to avoid, if you're a peacemaker, um, 
and you're doing well, you might stray to the orchard and take the chances of not avoiding all unpleasantness or all difficulty or all challenges, but to do something. Um, if you want to see what a nine will do if things are not going well, uh, the nine may shrivel up and basically say, how, how can I be as secure as I possibly can be with all of the dangers and all of the, um, the things that can come along that are, that are going to bring pain to me, discomfort to me? If you know uh, a nine, you might recognize some of these characteristics. Uh, the nine has an inherently calm demeanor. Uh, he or she is liked by many people in work and personal life. That person seeks to avoid conflict with others, strives to find harmony and peace with himself or herself and other people, is very accepting of others, is naturally ambitious at heart, doesn't have a hard time agreeing with others, tends to ignore their own emotions and feelings until it's too late. Um, the nine is an easygoing and flexible person when sudden changes in circumstances occur. As Jean Peterson says, we can all use one or two nines in our lives. And as I think back over the years, there are many people um, that, that I can quite quickly um, sort of name as nines. They are the very nice people. It's, it's maybe a very Canadian way to be, right? I mean, it, it's called the peacemaker. Um, it's the person who avoids conflict, who wants to be agreeable, wants to have people like her, like him, uh, wants to get along, you know, wants to sort of call everybody's attention and say, why can't we all get along? That would be the, the perfect world for a nine, would be that we all get along. However, the, um, the ugly marring of sin in our humanity just strikes at the heart of that and works every way it can to make conflict between people, to make disagreements, um, to make things hard, um, to make things impossible uh, when someone is trying to steer a way through and, and find a solution or, or a resolution. As we think about this need to avoid, um, the, the verse that I'd like to sort of land on is a verse that um, would be Paul's, probably Paul's injunction to a, to a nine who is feeling kind of shut down. Um, maybe has, has shrunk back from doing something that should be done, like the Jonah saying, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Um, and as, as Peterson says, um, having some people like this is a very good thing. We could all use a friend or two like this. But the, the person who is stuck at nine um, and hasn't dealt with the fact that things aren't always just getting along, but sometimes there needs to be a hard conversation. Sometimes there needs to be a hard decision. Sometimes there needs to be a, um, a, a departure from um, the niceness of how things are. Uh, it, we've all probably served on various committees and teams and um, 
in, in whatever arena you might think, the, the nines are very nice to have there. Um, everybody would feel good generally about the nine and having the nine there. But if you're a sports team, for example, and you really need to change some of your tactics or some of your skills, it, it's not going to help very much if the nine just says, but didn't we have fun? Because the threes and the sixes and various others will say, it's not about having fun. It's about winning. Um, second place is just the first loser. So what are you talking about? So in, in many circumstances, the nine is a very calming um, sort of oil that can settle over the dynamics of, of human beings. Um, but the nine needs to be able to get to the point of saying, you know what, there is an issue that I've not broached so far. Uh, Nineveh, you are sinful, and God will destroy you. And if there were Enneagram types listening to Jonah, they would have said, oh my goodness, that's not a nine anymore, because he's come out of his shell, right? So Paul says, one of the ways that we contribute to one another's growth and vitality in following Jesus is that we use the twins of um, truth and love. And the grammar of the verses is very lovely because um, truthing is actually turned into a verb. So truth in, in this verse is not a noun, uh, as though it's you know something objective or out there, but truthing and loving are sort of set, they're juxtaposed with each other, and they become the twins of how a nine, when he or she is doing well, will contribute into the life of the group in a way that we would say advances the kingdom of God, promotes the gospel of Jesus, um, promotes the growth of the church of Christ. And Paul says um, you need to speak the truth in love. So again, the, the construction is more would be like you need to truth and love and the result of that will be that you will be growing up in all aspects into Christ, who is the head of the church. Um, many people, I think, have, have observed that some people are so truthful, they're not very loving. And some people are so loving, they're not very truthful. And I think if we just sort of dwell on that, we would say, yeah, you know, in many circumstances, in many relationships, um, Actually, I do veer to one or the other. And um, being able to find the, the happy medium or the, the proper balance or combination of the two would be very, very useful. So what we are asking for is for nines who have the ability to, to work a group, if you like, or have the ability to, um, to be the coach, be, be the... Um, the catalyst in a group, a team, um, a class, whatever it is, we, we need to ask them to step into effecting this balance. And it will become a very difficult thing for a nine to do, but if the nine is doing well and will go to the orchard and reach out to three, he will say, there is something that needs to get done here, and I think I'm supposed to be the catalyst for that getting done. And it will have to do with naming something that needs to be named, uh, 
Uh, it may have to do with an elephant in the room or an unspoken um, thought or um, belief that is held by many but not spoken by many. Um, and that reality being identified in the context of thorough love, of, of it being a, a completely safe place. Uh, I'm sure we all have also been in places where we thought we might be safe, and it turned out we weren't, right? So we're, we're sort of once, twice bit, once bitten, twice shy, where we're saying, well, the, the, the other time that I dared to voice that concern, I got shot down, and I don't like the feeling of being shot down. I don't like the feeling of not being liked. So I'm, I'm wary of stepping up another time. But speaking the love, or speaking the truth, will be a very necessary thing in, in many, many relationships, whether it's um, husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, siblings, all of the ways that we relate to one another. There will be times when there's something that needs to be said and it may be a hard thing somehow that needs to be said or identified. And um, speaking the truth in love is counting on um, the environment being one that is really pro-growth and the organic kind of growth that we expect from the body of Christ. And the, the great hope that we have in these kinds of, of um, interactions is that since Christ is the head of the body, he is very able to send the impulses, the thoughts, um, the ways into the body so that we can operate with the gifts we have, the strengths that we have, and contribute to the growth of the body because he cares very, very much about that. So it's not necessarily a good situation um, when you talk to a group or maybe a church or a class or a team and you say, how do you guys get along? And everybody says, oh, famously, we, we just get along really, really well. We have no problems here. There are no problems. Um, when was the last time you had any disagreements? Boy, I can, can't remember ever disagreeing with this group. And as we all let that sink in, you think, oh, you know what then? That's not reality. And that's actually not even the church. Um, the church ought to be the place where we can speak the truth in love. And there are many areas um, in which we need to practice th that twinning. Um, and sad to say, there are many things that many people would think, well, I could not bring that up in the church. Uh, we have said here... Um, that the reason we built this place this way with tables and chairs was that, in our view, there's no conversation that's ever over. And that needs to be true. Um, there's no learning that's ever complete. Um, there's no change that is final. Um, because we need to be that, sort of, that vibrant, um, organic set of people who are able to talk about things safely. And so if you are part of a group or part of a church, part of a team, part of a class, begin first of all by saying, am, am I doing everything that I possibly can to make this a safe place for hard things to be discussed? Um, denominations 
are a problem in that. Uh, our denomination is a problem like any other denomination, whether we're Alliance or Baptist or Pentecost or whatever it is. We all have like doctrinal statements, statements of faith. And around those things, we unite, but also around those things, we sometimes depart from one another. And it is often not safe to say, I question that part of the doctrine, or I wonder if there's another way to look at that than the way we've sort of prescribed we look at it. Now, it's a work in progress. And so you keep on aiming towards uh, being orthodox, being evangelical, being biblical. But when something comes to your spirit, to your mind, and you say, you know what, here's an area where I think we have been dogmatic. And we talked about that notion of dogmatism. Um, there's this area in which we've been dogmatic. And maybe it's not an area that we should fight tooth and nail over. Maybe it's not the hill to die on. Maybe it's not the definitive mark of orthodoxy or evangelicalism. And if we are to have that kind of conversation, which practically speaking is sort of all around us, um, we will need to ensure that we will be people of love and that we are working um, to ensure that the, the environment, the culture around us is a culture of love. We need to be able to say, um, you've told us 90%, what's the 10%? What's the hard part of this that you think we need to deal with? Um, and if we're asking people for interaction with, with our ideas and our beliefs, we might say the same thing. Um, I, I've told you that, and what I told you is probably 90%, because honestly, that's how safe I felt. I need to feel safe enough to tell the rest, the, the, the last 10%. And there needs to be the resonance that says, yeah, we are 10% kinds of people. Because many times the area of growth is that difficult sort of topic or that, that awkward um, issue that, that's the elephant in the room or, or whatever it is that is unspoken and, and it's there just sort of silently. I have a, a very good friend that I've, I've mentored for years and years and years. He is a nine through and through. One of the most delightful people I know. I could not find anyone who would speak a word against this person. No one has an, you know, a bad thought about him in, in their mind. The greatest struggle in his life is when he feels that he's not able to please people because he will confess to being a, a people pleaser. Um, and he will sort of do mental gymnastics and spiritual gymnastics to try to not get anybody angry at him. And he's in ministry, so you can't be in ministry and not have people mad at you. Um, in fact, I think it was written in most job descriptions. It's, it's written, for example, in the Baptist denomination. It's written that you understand that the deacons are her, loyal, her majesty's loyal opposition and they will oppose everything you say. So, you know, we get used to the idea that there's going to be conflict and there's going to be disagreement. But my friend is one of the greatest gifts from God in, in the areas in which he, he serves in ministry in his church and beyond his church. Because 
he guarantees that this is a safe place. Uh, by his demeanor, by his actions, um, he, he will let people know that nothing they say or nothing they do will get him angry at them. Uh, and he will do everything he can to try to bring everyone along to understand and practice love, even when there is some latent disagreement. Um, Paul says, speak the truth in love and grow up in every way uh, into the head who is Christ. Are you being called to um, come out of your nine corner and contribute to some context, some group, some place, some body, some team um, that will help them move to being people who truth in love, who are truthers and lovers all at the same time? Uh, and, and what will Jonah uh, whisper in your ear as you think about what to do? Will he whisper in your ear, um, don't try to avoid that situation by going in the other direction? I tried that. doesn't work. Um, don't try to figure out what God is going to do and what you can count on him or not. You, you, just, you must trust in him. And you must allow what he brings about to be brought and be grateful to him because he knows. He knows the whole story. He knows everything inside and out. And he will accomplish his purposes. So you might as well get on board from the start. Uh, it's not a good idea to go against God's plan. Not a good idea to go his, against his plan for my life, for our church's life, for our friends' lives, our family's lives. Um, God is good, always, and we can trust him. But sometimes we need to hold on firmly to that hope that at the end of the day, God will have done what he has purposed to do. And we would have done well to make sure we signed up for that. Um, what is it that is your particular spin of personality? What I've suggested is that the nine types of the Enneagram may well just be the nine fragments of a whole personality. And so for some of us, maybe we come and go from one type to the other. For some of us, we rest heavily, more heavily on one of the wings or one of the other of the wings around our type. And some of us go to the outhouse too much. And some of us go to the orchard not enough. Um, but in all of it, um, this verse summarizes what, what the, the function of being a body, understanding each member, understanding itself, and contributing to the whole, that we then, in fact, would be speaking the truth in love, and we would grow up in all respects into him who is the head, even Christ. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you for... The, the various colors and shades of our personalities. Thank you that in a unique and sovereign way, uh, we are who you knew we would be, and we have been um, called into your family to do things that you've decided beforehand that we should do. So, Lord, help us to understand ourselves. Help us to understand one another. 
help us to love the differences that there are between us. Help us, above all, to allow love to reign in our lives and in our relationships. Um, Father, help us these days to be safe people uh, with, with others who have questions and doubts and worries. Um, help us to engage one another thoughtfully and prayerfully and, and powerfully. And as, as we see these um, dynamics of, of your body, uh, thank you that we can appreciate then that Paul was wise and that in many ways we are growing up into Christ, into our head, uh, as, as we explore ourselves and others and with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.